Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Drunk Friend Podcast. As always, we're your host. I'm Travis. That's Alex. And we have a pretty good guest coming up. But first, let's let's see what's going on with Alex. Alex, Taekwondo, Saber Wolf, what are these things? <laughs> uh, first of all, uh, let's get this out of the way. We got one of the best guests we've ever had on here. Uh, <laughs> it is the gaming historian, Norman Caruso. We're going to get out of the way as quickly as we can, uh, so you can hear that. So I will just say that uh, real quick, um, what did you say? Oh, <laughs> they're your ta- videos. Taekwondo and Saber Wolf, yeah. the things that I've been working on. Taekwondo is a very good, um, what do you call it? Super Nintendo game that is... <laughs> uh, <laughs> what do you say you do here? <laughs> no, 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 no. You got to say it right. What would you say you do here? Right, right, right. You got to say it with like the the mm. proper inflect. I'm, I'm sorry. The Fargo I'm accent? You. Yeah. The Fargo accent makes it better. Anyway, uh, Taekwondo is a super Famicom game that never came out in the US because Taekwondo apparently isn't popular enough to warrant a 16-bit one-on-one fighting game. It's really good. Um, I wouldn't say... Actually, no. I take that back. It's not really good. I think it's fairly solid what i like about it is that it uh pays homage so to speak to uh the korean you know uh, korea invented taekwondo Mm -hmm. a japanese uh company made the game so they ended up making the game in two languages korean and japanese and it's, it's like okay good lip service and you know it's of really different kind of fighting game where you press the R button to change your stance. It's it's almost realistic in a way, in kind of a cartoonish sure. <laughs> way. It's it's hard to explain but without it's, it's seeing less like, footage of you it. You know, it, there's no like fatalities and it's not like over the top with the Dukins. <laughs> like it's it's more down to earth is right. what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, it's very much down to earth. There's no uh, Hadoukens, there's no special move. I mean there are special moves, but there's no like uh, supernatural special moves, I guess I'll say. But yeah, yeah, it's one of those games that just by the title alone, I there's just it. I'm just immediately not interested because it's so basic. Like if it were like, yeah. you know, Jim Bob's Dragon Fighter game, you know, I'd be more interested. <laughs> but you know, if if there was a game just called Karate or something like that, I'm I'm probably not as interested. But and, and that's right. my fault because um, this game, when you showed the video, I was like, "Wow, this really does." You know, I don't want to use the word "hidden gem" around here, but I mean, this is pretty nice. This seems like one I would. No, totally... no, no, it's hidden, hidden gem. Hidden gem. You gotta say it like in the the Hollywood voice, <laughs> the, the Hollywood trailer voice. Hidden gem this summer. No, we should. Yeah, this summer. Right. <laughs> yeah, I would have. I would have glanced over Hercules, but it would have been right in front of me, and it would have been worth my time. I think so. Good on you for finding it. Or somebody, I didn't re- find somebody it. requested it. Was a Patreon request. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I take no credit for finding it. But we also have Saberwolf, another Patreon re- request, because uh, that game is also a very strange. Not only is it a weird game, but it has kind of a weird backstory where it was originally a ZX. I'm sorry, Zed, Zed. X Spectrum. Get it through your head. No, it's. it's the, the Brits will have my head. Get if I don't Zed, Zed through your head. Just you have to say. <laughs> there you go. That's that's a good slogan for your noggin. <laughs> that didn't work at all. That was terrible. That didn't rhyme. It was terrible. Saber Wolf is one of those weird games that has like kind of a weird backstory where it's uh, actually a game that 
has a weird backstory. It goes all the way back to Rare in its uh, early infancy. It, it, it has some really stupid name like ultimate, ultimate play the game <laughs> yeah no it was it wasn't just ultimate it was oh. ultimate play the game yikes what kind of name is that is that that's a sentence terrible. or a name you know that's what you're left asking what's going on here <laughs> did someone write down the wrong thing where title was supposed to go <laughs> yeah i know right like on the on the on the form yeah on the so llc like, file they're like uh, <laughs> oh, i don't know o- ultimate is a game i don't know whoops but yeah, it's uh but the thing is is that it ends up being a pretty interesting game because uh you know, when people say think Saber Wolf, I think most people think of Saber Wolf the uh wolf from Killer Instinct and it turns out that took uh its name from a game from 1984 uh that Rare developed way back in the day. Mhm. And it's a kind of a pretty interesting uh, arcade style, like run around and, you know, Pac-Man style game, like only you actually go after enemies and defeat enemies and that sort of stuff. Cool. It's a maze style game, but the Game Boy Advance game has been completely reinvented with uh, Donkey Kong Country style pre-rendered graphics. You know, it's it's pretty clear that it's made for uh, kids. And that it's made for a specific audience. It's made as a portable game, and yeah, it's it's fine for what it is. It's it accomplishes its goals for what it set out to do. But <laughs> as far as like an across the board recommendation, no. Gotcha. Well, that is interesting. I and that's one of those games where sometimes the the history of it outweighs the fun of it, and uh, that's okay. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, my video this past week was on Puznik, and yeah, I know it's a hard sell to get people to watch a video about a puzzle game. I get it, but I thought it was a fun game, and I'm just here to make videos about games, you know? And so Puznik was one that I've always liked. I remember playing it with my dad a few times, um, and he really enjoyed it. He was a big puzzle guy. He was all, all about the puzzles, just a whiz at puzzle games, and uh, so I, I couldn't really get it off my mind, and I was like, you know, I'm just going to... I want to dig into this one, make a little video about it because I do like it. It's it's two games in one. It has over 320 different puzzles. It's quality. It's very overlooked uh, for an NES game. I mean, it's got it got ported to the ZX Spectrum, to all of them, all of the. Spectrums. I'd never heard of it before. Really? Before I it popped. Yeah, before it popped up on my phone, I'd huh. never heard of Puznik. I was like, the hell is this? Interesting. Yeah. What is this, like? What is a spam I've got on my phone? I've got Puznik. <laughs> It's got an arcade is port, this? Is this? and in the arcade port, I think if you remove certain tiles, it it unveils a scantily clad lady. If you're into that, if you're that's not into what that, I saw that's fine in the, too. In, in the comments of your when I first <laughs> visited on this early this morning, oh, yeah. I was like, oh, okay, all right, fine, yeah, that makes sense, yeah, because <laughs> Japan or something, I guess, I don't know. Yeah, that's one of those things that like I knew about when I looked up the game, but I just left that detail out because I was like, nah, I don't really want to get into that. Somebody in the comments will, will mention that, you know, we, we get into that discussion later with Norm where it's like, we don't have to include everything about the game in the video. Exactly. So yes. I chose to leave that detail out, but of course somebody was there to, to rescue that detail from the grave and make it very visible to everyone at the top of the comments, but that's okay. So anyway, right we got on. emails. We do? Yeah. I'll go first here. We got one from Michael. He says, hey guys. I've been a fan of SNES Drunk for around five years and started following Ness Friend earlier this year when this podcast came out. It seriously takes a load off my week when I see new content published. Awesome. 
The question I have for you is regarding time management. Do you plan a couple days a week to work on content, or do you prefer to work on a project a little bit every day? I have a hard time finding the correct balance for me and was curious what works for both of you. Thank you for reading this, and keep up the good work. Sincerely, Michael Wilson. It's a good question. It's a good question. I, I'm not going to lie. When I first saw this email, when I first took a glance at it, I thought it said Michael Wilbon. And <laughs> I, I was like, oh, no, not Michael Wilbon. But yeah, that's, yeah. that's a sports, re- sports I mean, reference a, for you, sport folk. Wilbon's a huge listener. It's only a matter of time before he emails. <laughs> I'm sure. We just got to talk about Northwestern and the Cubs and all that Chicago crap. But anyway, um, this is an interesting question for me personally because I used to have a very strict routine for years and years because I've been doing this Sinestro drunk gig for a long, long time, you know, since uh, 2013. Mm-hmm. There was at one point where I was like 11 videos ahead, or I, I'm sorry, 11 weeks ahead, which means like I was like 22 videos ahead at one point. And uh, it Jeez. got to the point where I got so detached from the stuff that was coming out and the, you know, the the feedback I was getting. And it, it seemed kind of weird. And I was just like, all right, this needs to kind of come closer together because it was... Oh, like you would release a video and then like, you know, 10 weeks later, somebody would leave a comment. And you're like, yeah, oh, what are you talking about? I got you. It was like, yeah, exactly. It was like two over two months later. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And it, it was very strange. And now I'm just the opposite. I, I'm really enjoying the immediate feedback I get from somebody I just worked on the other day. Mm. And I'm finding out that like, oh, this isn't that hard to write something get the footage for it, uh, get the music for it, all this stuff, edit everything, and just d- just crank it out like right before it comes out and then get that immediate feedback. It's kind of addictive. I'm not going to lie. It's pretty cool. It's, 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 and the, the only reason I say that is because I've been on the other end of the spectrum mm-hmm. where I've, I've been way ahead and now I kind of like being on the other end and I'm sure I'm going to slingshot back to the other end because it's kind of stressful being on this end of the spectrum. I would think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of stressful, but at the same time, it's like, who cares? Like, so what? It doesn't matter. Um, oh yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like to- you, you know, you've, you ended up skipping a few weeks over the summer and yeah. I think that was the first time you'd done it. And uh, yeah. it comes down to like a lot of the, I mean, you know, unless you're making your living off YouTube, which some people do, if you depend on that, that's one thing. But like, you know, if it's just a hobby, why add the stress of being like, I have to make a video come out on this Thursday or else? Like, that's just in your head. <laughs> that's just you doing that to you. You know, you can rely. If, if no. it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. No, it's that's just it. It's it's not it's this is just a hobby mm-hmm. for me. It's not any kind of, you know, like <laughs> freaking job or anything like that. I guess it kind of is to a certain extent because I do get Patreon requests for certain sure. games like yeah. Saber Wolf, uh, which is fine because I like finding out about games that I never would have known about had somebody not told me about them. Mm-hmm. That works for me. If that's my job, good. I like that job. <laughs> but um, at the same time, like if somebody recommends a game that's like, hey, what about you know Bill Lambert's Combat Basketball? No. <laughs> not happening uh go piss up a rope yes all the way up. uh there. piss up a rope again mm-hmm, two and ropes. then piss up a rope a third time three ropes of piss yes i agree uh for <laughs> me i am 
very different. I don't ever want to be the guy that's making it a week out because just the idea of that stresses me out. So doing it would be awful. But I try to keep like a month out. I don't do as many videos as Alex. And I I engross myself and I have 32 other podcasts that I'm doing as well. So I sort of have that creative energy funneled everywhere else yeah. uh, to balance it out a little bit. So we're not too different, you and I. But I, um, I definitely think... <laughs> I like the I like about four weeks out. I was doing a really far out, and like you, I did feel detached from the feedback because somebody would be like, "Man, your sound here is is a little messed up." I'm like, "Well, I do it for the next seven videos, so, and it's not, you know, <laughs> sorry, I'm not <laughs> that feedback is not going to used to it for the next two <laughs> months." Yeah, it's not going into the wheelhouse for a little while, so I, I've I've shortened the gap a little bit to just being two or three ahead and feeling comfortable with that. And that's nice and comfy. I don't feel threatened, but I also feel yeah, engaged with the work. I think that's the sweet spot. Yeah. I think just two or three weeks ahead is is a nice spot to be in because it gives you just enough cushion to correct things without feeling overwhelmed. At least that's that's my opinion. Oh, I agree. That's I agree. how I've, I've grown to that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the next email we've got is from Mr. Toasty. All right. Not sure if that's a Mortal Kombat reference. No, that's his real name. Not. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that's his real name. Toasty or Mr. Uh, Powdered Toastman. Uh, <laughs> greetings and sewertations, gamers, drunks, and citizens of the cosmos. Big fan, Mr. Toasty here. I love the show. It's a great distraction from the mindless drudgery that is my job. I'm sorry about your job, yeah, Mr. Toasty. Sucks, toasty. I caught the SNES drunk on YouTube about a year about a year or so back and have been a faithful follower ever since. Parenth- Parenthetical, don't worry, I'm now following uh, the NES friend, too. Ooh, good. Thank God. Knowing that Mr. Drunk is a fellow Misty, he's talking about Mr. Science Theater 3000, I was wondering what his thoughts were on the Manos video game, and if he could make a video game based on another <laughs> Mystery Science Theater episode, which one would he pick? In that vein, Mr. Friend, mm. which movie from the 80s and early 90s do you feel missed their opportunity to be a good or spectacularly awful NES game? Anyway, even though you two sober up faster every time I say it, this is Mr. <laughs> Toasty reminding you <laughs> to be excellent to each other and party on dudes. P.S. My drink of choice is Kentucky Bourbon Barrel Ale. Cheers to that. And cheers to Mr. Toasty. And he's given me some uh, insider inside baseball stuff here when it comes to Manos because I have played the Manos video game. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It, it works. Uh, I remember it gives me the opportunity to share a very uh, niche uh, uh, pigeonholed anecdote. Okay. Uh, bec- because my sister uh, once back when we had our. Uh, Compact Persario, which was gifted oh, to us back in 1994, um, it was a it was either a 386 or a 486. I th- I want to say 486. Uh, we had a Manos uh, screensaver on that computer, which played the haunting Manos theme, or I'm sorry, Torgo. It played the haunting Torgo theme uh, every time uh, uh, the uh, mouse went untouched after you know 10 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. So anybody that's listening that knows Mr. Science Theater and Man of the Hands of Fate knows what I'm talking about. Travis does not, which means that I need to talk more about Mr. <laughs> Science Theater. Uh, the game that I wish had a MST game or MST, uh, yeah, MST game probably would be Space Mutiny. I think that's the obvious answer. Just because I want the I want the opportunity to play as Buff Splink Flank. 
or a big big McLarge huge. Oh, he's yes, please. Buff or uh, meat beef broth <laughs> or uh, any any of those ridiculous names. Final Sacrifice would also be a great RPG adventure style game. Uh, Devil Doll would be another dumb game. Uh, I don't know. I'm just naming episodes now. You, you seem point. to be, yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, I again, I I represent the majority in that I have no idea anything that you just said. But I'm glad that you and Mr. Toasty are getting along fine. That's great. Um, when it comes to 80s and ni- early 90s movies that I think could have been fun on the NES or at least interesting, I, I kind of gravitate toward the never-ending story. I wonder how that would have gone. Nice little adventure. Oh, that would have been perfect. There's already some sort of video gamey aspects to how the, that world works, and uh, I think that would be fun. That's a great one because when I think of that, I think of the Willow arcade game. Uh, made by Capcom. Mm-hmm. Imagine that with never-ending story. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I think that would have worked really well. For sure, yeah. For me, it's Die Hard. There is an NES Die Hard game. It needs to be better. <laughs> it does. No, I agree with that. It needs an arcade game. I, I, I Screw NES. It needs an arcade <gasps> game. It screw needs, like, NES. The, the arcade-style treatment um, of climbing through the vents, uh... I need cutscenes. I need henchmen, all that stuff. I mean, you get a little bit of that with the NES one, but it's it's a top-down... You, you just feel like you're hunting an Oregon Trail the whole time. It feels like it's it could be anything. It doesn't feel like Die Hard. That's the thing. That's true, um, I think. Yeah. That's, that's how it always felt to me. The other thing is Blade Runner. Um, hmm. Imagine a Blade Runner NES game with all the colors and the androids that are or i'm sorry the replicants that are hunting you and or not hunting you but you have to hunt the replicants and once they're aware of your presence you have to freaking get your ass in gear and freaking go after them and yeah. all that sort of stuff and yeah i think blade runner would land itself well it's good it's a good idea yeah blade runner and die hard and screw the die hard nes game because it sucks okay that's There you go. There you have it. Next up, we have one from Sean. He says, Hi, I loved the episode with Dan Hess. I loved listening to him discuss what he was able to do with the limitations of the Nintendo 64. I have two questions for you guys. What are your favorite and least favorite games that you played in 2020? Do you guys have a gaming bucket list? I spent most of 2020 clearing games off my bucket list, and it turned out to be the most enjoyable experience I have had in gaming in quite some time. Mega Man X, Front Mission Gun Hazard, and Rondo of Blood are my favorite games of 2020. Thank you for all the work that you guys put into your channels and this podcast. Signed, Button Masher. I will say I did play uh, Mario Super Mario 3D Land on the Nintendo 3DS last year in 2020. And that was freaking awesome. I love that game. Um, I also played uh, Mario Sports Superstars, which I really enjoyed the hell out of. Um, I tried to get into, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate. Uh, I just, it's It's just one of those games where it's just like it takes too much of your time. Stuff gets in the way. I, I have to level up stuff, and I never really got into it. I'm sure I would really like it if I got into it, but yeah. Um, but yeah, 2020 was about catching up on 3DS stuff that I... Oh, Metroid uh, Samus Returns, of course. I forgot to mention that one. Uh, that was one of my favorites, too. Um, yeah, 2020 was all about catching up on 3DS games, that the, the, the absolute best 3DS games that I missed out on. And damn, 
Mega Man X, Front Mission, Gun Hazard, Rondo of Blood, that's a who's who of like games. For sure, yeah. <laughs> like damn, that is that is stacked. That is a stacked list. What about you, Trav? Yeah, I uh I can take this time to plug my other podcast because I, I did talk about this quite a bit on Polykill. My favorite game that I played in twenty twenty I'll just say it's the one that I finished just yesterday. That's The Last of Us 2. I know that's not a retro answer for the retro fans that listen to the show, but that game was just remarkable. Boo! Just remarkable. Couldn't get it out of my head. Uh, I'm still thinking about it, to be quite honest with you. Um, another game that I liked, which is one that I had some nostalgia for because I played it back in my college days and didn't finish it, that was Dark Cloud 2 on the PlayStation 2. That's a really fun action RPG, if you're into that. Yakuza Zero. I'm just naming kind of more modern stuff. I did. I mean, I've played a lot of the old old school stuff. Obviously, like I played some uh, Wild Arms too. I like that quite a bit. Um, I don't really have a game that I didn't like all that much. Like least favorite. You know, I usually just stop playing them if they're bad. But um, you know, maybe Family Dog. I think I did play that as kind of a as a joke. Uh, I did beat you it, and though. Family Dog. I, I swear to God, I had to play it. It was just you talk down on it so much. I felt like I had to. Oh. I had to pet the dog. I had to do it. I know. I know. Um, you have to pet the dog. I do have a gaming bucket list. So, again, plugging Polykill, it's about uh, beating games off the backlog, which is what we do. So it's a big big group of game beaters, and we use the community and the, the games that they beat to f- fill a few segments of the show. So if you if you like beating games and you want to participate in that, that'd be good. I do have, like, a running list of games that I want to beat, like, in my lifetime, and that includes stuff that comes out new. So it's just an ever-ending burden at this point. But um, it's fun to do stuff like that. I think the bigger one for me is Octopath Traveler. I really want to get into that one. Um, there's a few others like uh, Sweet Coden. Mm-hmm. I want to get into that series. I want to get into Xenogears. I want to give you know oh, yeah. enough time to those games where I can actually get into them. And Fantasy Star Four. That's another one I want to give a proper replay to. I have I haven't played it since. Oh boy, this is like over ten years now. I need to get into that again. And um, yeah, I there's a bunch of stuff on my quote unquote bucket list that I have. It's it's mostly time consuming stuff. That's a thing. It's it's like RPGs and stuff like that. How do you balance that with the stuff that you you were doing for the channel? And do you try to to make those things line up as much as possible? Like I want to play this. So it's going to be the next review versus Maybe it's a game that you've already reviewed. You just want to revisit. Well, it's not going to go back on the channel, so do you put that further back? You just got to make a schedule, essentially, and it's really hard to do when it's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've got a, an actual job, an 8 to 5 job, and here's this game that I want to play, here's this game that I want to play, and here's this game that is a Patreon request, and here's this game that I want to play for fun, and, <laughs> yeah, you know, it it's... It, becomes a burden eventually when you let it pile up but it you just have to you know remind yourself that this is for fun it's not this shouldn't be work exactly i really want to get into octopath traveler though i've heard a lot of really good things about that game speaking of hearing good things from people we did get to hear from our pal norm he's coming up next you guys know norm he's a video game historian his channel has videos dating back 11 years which actually surprised me i didn't realize he'd been around that long um, but he just recently crossed the 800,000 subs milestone. So doing good things over there. Uh, he's a, definitely a fixture in the retro gaming YouTube space and uh, is an obvious tickler for facts and quality, which make his stuff stand out. So he's a good interview. So 
so Norm, thanks so much for coming on Drunk Friend to chat with us. How are things? Well, uh, all pretty good, all things considered, I guess. The <laughs> last year has been kind of hectic, so I'm doing great. How are you guys? Doing wonderful. And again, thanks so much for taking the time to, to hang out with us. Uh, earlier today when we were kind of chatting a little bit in the Discord, you said that you had one beer left and you were saving it for this podcast, so now I have to ask, what are you drinking? It's not classy. It is a hams. It is a hams oh, tall boy. I love hams. I was introduced to hams way too late in life. Hams. Yes. Oh man. Somebody brought mm. over a six pack of hams and they were like, "I found this beer for a dollar," and I was like, "What?" <laughs> and it's it's good for for super cheap beer. Dude, uh, I am from St. Paul, Minnesota. So, and that's where the hams brewery is. It is, is yeah, was established. Wow. So, I hams is near and dear to my heart. That's awesome. Love hams, even though it doesn't taste the best. But give me, give me a freaking six pack of hams any day, any day. It's all about value. <laughs> value, <laughs> good, big time. Good value beer. Yes, that's I right. Totally agree. I mean, you're you're doing better than me. I was out of beer. I'm settling tonight for a mango grapefruit seltzer water. So I'm re- I'm going heavy tonight. Yeah, that's okay. I I'm I'm fully stocked on the seltzer as well. I I whatever Costco has is what I buy, and that's uh, I think Polar is what they're stocking right now. So I've got all the Polar seltzers. <laughs> nice, nice. You guys, you guys are more hardcore than me. I got Blood Orange Cider again. So well, that uh, sounds good. That does sound yeah. good though. Actually, yeah, it it is really good. It it doesn't hit you hard, and it's not bad on the on the stomach, on the tummy. So <laughs> you're doing just fine. It's not bloating or anything like that. So I appreciate that. It's it's a I will say for, health conscious for a podcast mm-hmm. with a nice uh, sweating glass of beer on the <laughs> thumbnail. We've disappointed everyone that could be a, a beer uh, fan. Uh, so far but hopefully they're here for some video games and for some norms so norm let's kick it off so you're one of the more prominent you know documentarian historians in the video game space and you've seen that meme how it started versus how it's going and it looks like it's going pretty well so how did this all start for you do you remember when you had the idea for your channel yeah i do um it was back in i want to say march of 2008 I was a college student. I was 20 years old, and I was majoring in history. Surprise, surprise. And <laughs> I was working at GameStop while I was in college. So, you know, I was surrounded by video games all the time, and mm-hmm. I was studying history. And I said, oh, well, I want to look into the history of video games. I bet that's interesting. I'd never, I'd never thought to do that before, and I got inspired from the show Icons on G4. Do you guys remember that show? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great show. Um, Kind of like general history of different topics in video games. So they did like Sonic the Hedgehog and they did the ESRB and they did like Super Mario and the Dreamcast. And I love that show. And I said, oh, I want to find more stuff like this. And I went online and there just really wasn't anything out there. And so I just thought for fun, well, I'll, I'll try it. I'll see what I can do. And that's really how the show started, I guess. I just started it because I thought it would be fun. So did you ever expect to grow to what it's become? No, not at all. <laughs> no. I, I, And I didn't even know, like, uh, making money on YouTube would ever be a thing. Because YouTube started as just this, like, this is where you upload videos and share them with your friends. Mm-hmm. Exactly, you know? yeah. This is where you share the old like VHS rips that you recorded in the 90s that uh, you want to 
preserve you know <laughs> they like oh i remember this liquid television thing on mtv from like 1994 that i want to preserve because the videotape is deteriorating like that kind of thing exactly <laughs> At least that's, what it, that's what it was for me anyway yeah i would look up like um old Nicktoon intros. I'd be like, oh, remember the intro to Rocco's <laughs> Modern Life? And I'd see if anyone uploaded it. And, I mean, that's the, stu- that's the stuff we would watch on YouTube when it first started. That's right. Yeah. Um, God, I, for me, it was... Uh, <laughs> I would look up... Uh, me and my brother, my older brother, would go look at uh, old uh, like CBS... NFL on CBS intros from like the 70s and 80s just to listen to the music. And like, wow, mm. somebody really went balls to the wall with this theme. You know, we'd like give our own commentaries to it and stuff <laughs> like that. And it was it was a blast. Like, I miss that YouTube. It's become a completely different animal for better and for worse. But uh, yeah, that's that was the Wild West of uh, 2006-2008 internet slash YouTube. Yeah, I, I'm, I consider myself very lucky and fortunate that I started when I did. Because mm. there just wasn't as many people making content on YouTube. And so I I always tell people this. I'm very lucky that I just said, I'm going to try this thing. And I just did it. And it wasn't great when it first started. You know, looking back at my older stuff, I don't, I think I've gotten better over the years. But I do always tell people I'm very lucky that I started when I did. Because I, I can't imagine starting a channel today. I'm sure it's much, much harder than starting a channel in 2008. I was going to say that sounds pretty familiar because that's why I started my thing in 2013. I just wasn't finding the information that I, I wanted to find on YouTube. So I was unemployed at the time. So I said, fine, I'm just going to make this um, stuff about games that I don't know about. I'm, I was doing that anyway in my spare time. I was like, what's mm-hmm. this game? What's this game? And I was actually taking notes and saving them so I wouldn't have to look up stuff over and over and it's like I might as well take advantage of this thing. If I have a way of recording footage, I'll I'll make a video of it. Since I've I, I went to school for graphic design and I've taken classes on video editing, I know all that stuff. So it's like I might as well just make videos on it. And yeah, t- to be sure, the the early videos are for me especially are very very uh, rough to say the least. But um, yeah, you make a good point where it's like. Today, I uh, ugh, it's it's pretty it's a pretty saturated thing where there's many established uh, entities. I will say that mm-hmm. kind of have their own niche within a niche, which <laughs> within yeah. uh, retro gaming, and so it must be tough. Um, but at the same time, there are people that come to the surface that uh, uh, you know, kind of. They 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 know their stuff and they're really good at what they do. I I, I am I'm leading to a question about like what are some of the YouTube channels that you watch that you're interested in? When it comes to gaming, I love uh, Ahoy. I don't mm. know if you've watched Ahoy before. Yes, he does very very good like long form uh, documentary style content, but he has his own like. He has his own twist with it. Like his narration's very unique and he makes his own music and he does his own graphics and he's just a very talented man. Uh, so I watch a lot of, I watch Ahoy whenever he puts out a video. Um, I've, I've had, I always watch angry video game nerd because I've been watching James since 
I I discovered YouTube. Sure. Um, yeah. I think it feels like YouTube disco- you know, James discovered YouTube at this point. He's been around so long <laughs> since like 2006. So, yeah, it's he he's a staple. Like he's a staple of YouTube in general, so yeah. He is. Yeah, and he's he's he was a big inspiration to me. Sure. I mean, just seeing that, oh, there's people that make video game content on YouTube that and they look it looks like they're having so much fun doing it and people are loving it. So, he was a big inspiration, so I I still watch him. Mm. Um I watch uh Wrestling with Gaming. He does really good video game history documentaries. Um Gosh, I have a lot of friends that do YouTube. Uh, the Completionist, me and Gerard have been friends oh, sure. for for quite a while now, and I always watch watch his videos. So, I, I'm sure I'm forgetting people, but yeah, those are the those are a few that I watch. But outside of gaming, I I watch a lot of YouTube as well. Like I I like um, uh, I love restoration videos where somebody just restores something back to new but there's no talking in the video it's just them like working on the item so they'll take like an old rusty wrench and they'll make it shiny and new again and it's it's fascinating to watch (laughs) do you ever watch like power washing type stuff like oh yeah yeah yeah. power washing porn that's uh that's (laughs) yes wonderful stuff and i it it inspired me to buy a power washer i was gonna say like it makes me want to own i've used a power washer before i used to work at a golf course and that's what we use to clean the mowers but man i i i never thought to use it like on my sidewalk or something like that and Oh, it it yeah. makes me it makes me jealous that those. I are. I went and visited my my grandma last year, and um, she the side of her house was like full of this like green mildew mold because <laughs> she just it hadn't been cleaned in years. And I said, "Oh my gosh, this is my chance to like <laughs> use a power washer." So I went to my 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 parents who were there, and I said, "Let's go to Home Depot and let's buy Grandma a power washer." And I got to use one, and it was fantastic. <laughs> it was so much fun. You just felt like I'm a sure Ghostbuster. <laughs> yeah. So my I- grandma was thrilled. <laughs> well, yeah, her house got cleaned. Yeah. Just, mm-hmm. it, you know, I'm sure. I, I'm sure you didn't charge her for anything or anything like that. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't charge her much. It wasn't much. <laughs> no, I didn't charge my grandma. <laughs> so I, I'm curious to ask though, when you when you go about researching something, um, what's the first thing you do? Do you have certain bookmarks that you always make sure to visit? Uh, do you have go to destinations on the internet or maybe not on the internet? Uh, what what's your pro- I I hate the question. What's your process? Because it's such kind of a it's too broad and generalized. But like, what's the first thing you do when you when you decide on a subject? I guess. Well, if it's about a certain game, I always play through the game first, just mm. so I'm like getting I'm like understanding the actual topic. But if it's so like with the Mario, I did a video on Mario Paint. I played so many hours of Mario Paint, and it was just like I was drawing stuff, I was learning how to animate, I was trying to make the music, and I just wanted to understand how the program worked, how the game works. And then I dive into the research. I think my the first place I always go to is archive.org because they just have such a massive catalog of like old video game magazines. Um, and so I definitely dive into archive.org first just to see uh like how much press something got what what 
the press was talking about with this certain topic. Um, and then I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, newspapers.com. I didn't know that was a thing. I need to look this up right now. It is for for video game research. It is the best money you will ever spend. It is it oh. it it digitizes millions of old newspapers, and you can find stuff you would have never imagined. Um, it is a fantastic resource. Um, hmm. So I highly recommend any newspaper digital newspaper website. There's newspapers dot com. There's like a genealogy bank. There's new pa- newspaperarchives.com. Um, they're great resources for research. That's fascinating to me because I don't remember, at least as a kid, uh, video games getting a lot of coverage uh, in newspapers. They were. It seemed to me they were just kind of brushed aside as like, yeah, well, we'll cover the business end of it. But I remember it wasn't until the, I want to say, and this is coming from a newspaper dork that, you know, I read <laughs> the front to front to back sports section of course but i also went through the whole thing you know making sure i didn't miss anything that i wasn't interested that i would have been interested in uh blame my i blame my dad for that but uh i don't remember video games getting a ton of coverage in in newspapers but what kind of stuff do you find so with my show, the business aspect of some of the stuff is actually really important. Sure, to yeah. The story, so it, that's a great resource for me. But um, for I'm thinking like for your show, it would be good for uh, how much did a game cost when it came out? Uh, what stores carried the game? Um, there are, believe it or not, there are sometimes like mom and pop opinion piece reviews of video games. <laughs> Um, so you lo- can see like a down to earth review of uh secret of evermore or something. I know? love it. I That's what I would love that. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. I could yeah. definitely got to check this out. It's a great resource. Um, and actually I'm in, I'm in grad school right now and I, I, I use it for grad school too. I, they have newspapers dating back to the civil war. So it's, it's a great, great resource to have. Yeah. Interesting. Is there, is there anything else, um, in terms of where you focus your research, I mean, I, I know 2020 made it tough, but are, are you going to like a library and getting out the microfiche or are you, are you having to do anything like that? I, yeah, I have done that before. I've been to the, the I'm, I'm lucky that there's a, a national archives in where I am. I'm in Kansas city. Hmm. Uh, there's a national archives building here so I can order records and I can look at records. Um, I was planning to go to the strong museum in rochester um last year but covid uh, Mm -hmm. canceled that um but besides that probably my favorite source of research is interviews like getting in touch with the people behind these games or events in video game history uh and you know most people are happy to talk to you and you get great insight and you get probably the best information you can on a subject right because they were involved with it Right. So, yeah, I was going to ask about that because um, I do a lot of interviews where I work and it's it's more like me bugging them about work stuff and they're not always eager to talk. But you're right. It seems like the interviews that you've done with folks, they seem very eager to talk about the things that they've done. And I thought it was interesting in one of your recent videos where you covered the history of the Mega Man games on PC. You interviewed the guy that was responsible for those games. And it's really no secret to anyone that those games are less than favorable 
and you make that point many times in the video. Did you struggle with admitting to the audience, you know, or like saying in the video that the games are bad while also interviewing the guy that put his heart and soul into it? Was was there any cognitive dissonance there? Or did he kind of understand <laughs> how that was going to go? Um. So, in um, in 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 studying history, a lot of the times they tell you to um, don't fall in love with your subject. Mm-hmm. because it can kind of skew your information and it won't make it will make your it it will make your history not as good as it could be um and so when you're dealing with somebody who created the game of course he of course he's in love with the game because he created it um and you have to take that into account Uh, But I tried to make the argument in this video that, yes, it's not a good game. And I think Steven Rosner admits that, yes, it's not a great game. But he tries to to make the point that he worked on this game all by himself. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to to argue in the video that this was just a fan game. This was a, a game that a guy made in his spare time and Capcom was looking for titles to put out and they, you know, money talks. So let's put out a Mega Man port (laughs) on the PC and we don't really care how good or bad it is. And that's really what happened. And I really hope that people can look at those games in a different light because people look at them and they say, oh, I can't believe they put this out. What were they thinking? Did they play test this? And so in the video, I try to, to make that point that there really was no like, testing phase of these games they just said does it run yes okay let's release it and it's mega man it's going to sell so. yeah you you did a good job of that i i do want to make that clear that that's how i came i i went into that video thinking like oh these are basically they have the reputation of the zelda cdi games they're just games that you you kick around and make fun of but then at the end of it i was like wow this guy really that's impressive like the whole story is really impressive and and while i'm not going to play the games I, I do have a newfound respect for where they came from so that point did did come through but i was curious like how that worked with him if, if he acknowledged certainly they're more of a, a butt of a joke these days than anything else yeah and i i did i did touch on that with him and he he said it in the video i think he said they are what they are <laughs> um, he fully admitted that like i mean that was that was one of his first like releases that he he made mm-hmm. um so i think he he fully admits that it's, it's kind of a joke these days but i think he i think in a way Ro- steven rosner's proud that that he put those games out and that it's like part of the mega man lore now certainly yeah. even though even though capcom doesn't want to talk about them but like the fans know what they are and that's what's the most important thing i think yeah, Capcom not talking about them isn't going to stop everyone from asking. So exactly, they're, they're cemented yes. in lore as far as everyone else is concerned. Yeah, Screw and I, I I had to mention this in the video. It's the first Mega Man game with an introduction stage because yeah. people rave about Mega Man X. You know that great yes. intro stage, and it's a fantastic intro stage. Mega Man on DOS has a terrible introduction stage, <laughs> but it is an introduction stage, and it's the first one in the Mega Man series. So, <laughs> got to give it props for that. Absolutely. So, one you mentioned, you know, not falling in love with the subject, but and that brings me to uh, this question, which is that one jumping point for me personally when it comes to video game history is how sometimes it feels futile 
to find out what's real and what's not. Uh, my go-to example for this is always uh, Hagane for Super Nintendo because that has the myth around it that it is a quote-unquote blockbunter, blockbunter, blockbuster rental exclusive, which is mm. complete crap. <laughs> uh, there's no support behind that at all anywhere uh, other right. than like two popular people saying it on YouTube and you know who cares but are there any I, so I'm curious to ask you uh, are there any nagging myths in gaming that bother you in particular oh let me think um, I've always been curious it's funny you talk about uh, Hagane I'm thinking of um, Flintstone surprise at dinosaur peak for the NES, that's always yeah, yeah. I I always I was always told that was a blockbuster <laughs> rental exclusive, yeah. um, but I I've never never seen evidence of that. Hmm. Yeah, no one can ever point to something that that says it was a blockbuster exclusive. Yeah, it and still then, goes. It still goes for like two hundred and fifty bucks. You know, yeah, loose and and then, and then and then some people say, oh, well, it wasn't a blockbuster exclusive, but it was a rental exclusive. And so, but I've never seen evidence of that either. So who knows? Um, I've always wanted to like dive into that and figure that out. Um, There was, there are some myths that I've busted. Um, There was always the myth that there was a left-handed power glove, like a mythical (laughs) left-handed power glove. But Oh, that's a good one. When I talked to the guys that made it, they said, no, we didn't make one that there's not enough people. (laughs) <laughs> that are left-handed to warrant us to completely make a new glove, you know? So Interesting. <laughs> uh, there is no left-handed power glove confirmed. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I do love um, looking into those little myths. Um, I mean, I, the one myth that, I, that I've gotten wrong, and this is when I first started making videos, I said Space Invaders caused a coin shortage, which is not true um <laughs> now it was now taito did say yes it did cause a coin shortage but right i don't think you can trust taito <laughs> on that because you know they made space invaders so of course they're gonna say <laughs> oh yeah yeah it caused the coin shortage it was super popular i was gonna say uh i think in the stephen kent book about video game history i think he said uh and this is one of the first books that I can remember reading about video game history, uh, his book, which I don't remember when this would have been published, like 2001 or 2002. The or Ultimate like History of Video Games, I think, was first published in 2001 in some form or another. It might have yeah. had a different name, but uh, it's been republished a bunch of times. But yeah, that's where I got that myth from. Yeah, and me too. Kent, Kent um, does have a lot of errors in his book. Yes. But I will say it's a good book in that it does give a really good general overview of the history of the video game industry. And it has a lot of good quotes from industry insiders. And it's a really easy book to read. So I think for like baby's first video game history book, it's a fantastic book. Um, but just proceed with caution because it is filled with a lot of errors. Yeah, the the version I have is one of the first published ones called The First Quarter. Yep, uh that's it. Yeah. So he is a really good writer, uh, Stephen Kent, and he's got a lot of great Trip Hawkins quotes in particular 
yeah. he's he's the EA guy, and yep. that he really captures that guy's hubris. The guy uh, that claimed the NES was a fad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he he gets that guy's, you know, all his, you know, his uh, aura, I will say, in uh, in fine form. And yep. uh, yeah, I it, it's worth, I think it's worth a read still, you know, despite, uh, you know, the inaccuracies, but... Um, yeah, and a lot a lot of hardcore video game history guys they they despise that book because it mm. it really throws out a lot of like factual errors. But I still really like that book, um, just for the reasons I said earlier. Yeah, it was one of the first books I it was probably the first book I read about video game history, and it got me even more interested in it. Especially because if I remember correctly, he starts with like pinball stuff like the early pinball stuff mm-hmm. uh that started in like the 40s and 50s and how that came about and that sort of stuff but yeah but and yeah. he's writing a sequel now is he really he is i'm very excited it is coming oh. i think this year i'm gonna have to de- definitely gonna have to pick that up but speaking of which though you're you know stephen kent is in a, uni- in a unique position and you are in a unique position where you have become a trusted voice of reason in a burgeoning industry that's, you know, still evolving constantly. So when it comes to research, you know, you talk about the Taito thing and the quarter shortage, which is nonsense. But does any of that pressure get to you to get things right all the time since, you, you know, it's like, oh, suddenly I'm in this position to be, you know, an authority on this kind of stuff. And the reason I ask that is because I have to deal with, you know, I me being the SNES drunk channel, all that nonsense. I get the well actually qu- comments constantly. <laughs> and it's, well, what? actually, this, you know, it's I hear it in a Simpsons voice, basically. You know, mm-hmm. Professor Frank. And, and yeah. it's it's fine, you know, if you want to point out some pedantic thing. I just do the best I can. That's, that's all I, you know, I'm just a hobbyist. I do the best I can. I want to talk about you know, stuff I like and that sort of thing. I'm going to get stuff wrong, but you know, I'm not deliberately deceiving people, you know, but right. when, but with you, um, do, does any of that get to you? Does that, uh, you know, how do you deal with that sort of external pressure, so to speak? Well, um, it's hard, uh, because I think, uh, just by the nature of my show, people, are much more um, intense with their scrutiny than with, say, a you know, angry video game nerd or something. Yes. If the angry video game nerd says, "Oh, the Ninten- the NES came out in America in 1988," let's say it's like a glaring error <laughs> like that. I don't like. I don't think people would jump down his throat. Mm-hmm. Um, if I said that, I don't even want to know what would happen. You better believe, yeah, <laughs> yeah. people. Are- <laughs> um. So. Yeah. I, I did make a video called What Facts Did I Get Wrong? And it was a way for me to tell my audience, I am a human being. I am not perfect. I make mm. mistakes. Historians make mistakes all the time. New information comes out all the time. We are constantly looking back at the past and finding new things and correcting history. Um, but I also I also want people to understand that... Um, History is it's it's about more than just finding facts. A lot of the times finding facts is the easiest part of history. It's really interpreting what happened in the past. That's 
that's what history is really all about. And I hope, I hope that comes across in the videos. Um, but I also have to strike this balance of, okay, I'm also making a documentary that I want people to find engaging and entertaining. And so a lot of stuff I have to cut from my episodes because a lot of times I'll get comments like you that say, well, why didn't you mention that Yes, this game came out in, uh, in Serbia in 1992 <laughs> in February uh, on Groundhog Day or something like that. And I'll say, you know, I... This this isn't like this is I'm not an encyclopedia. This is like I'm telling a story about the past. Yes. Um. And so you have to t you you know you you have to cut things. I can't I can't just list everything that happened with this game. I mean, and that's really what I try to do with my show. I try to tell a story. I mean, the mm. word story is in history, mm. and that's that's what I try to do. So. Going back to your thing about the comments, yes, I do get them a lot, and sometimes they are valid. Sometimes I mess up, and I fully admit when I mess up, but a lot of the times it is comments like that that are, well, why didn't you mention this random random trivial thing that has nothing to do with the narrative? So <laughs> it's frustrating, but that's just part of being YouTube, right? Yeah, the way I interpret some of the comments, like you say, some of them are very valuable and do contribute to you know the overall conversation about a game or a certain era or a console mm -hmm. or whatever but um certain people just have that information in their brains and they find an excuse to use it and it's like oh now's my chance i get to use this <laughs> trivial piece of nothing and i get to paste it onto this video They've been Steve. waiting for that moment for a long time. And of <laughs> exactly. course they're going to take that moment. And I totally get it. So. And I get it too. Exactly. I was just going to say, I get it. Like I'm, I, I get that sort of thing too. So it's like, Oh, it, my thing when it comes to me, like uh, Jerry Seinfeld has a copy of the super Nintendo version of Sim city on his bookshelf. Uh -huh. for like the first few seasons of Seinfeld. That's my yeah. use completely utterly useless trivial fact about anything ever. <laughs> and of course it's about Super Nintendo. But that's it's one of those things where it's like why didn't you mention that? Why didn't you in your review of SimCity, why didn't you mention that Jerry Seinfeld has a copy of, you know, it's like no And I, and you have to say is that relevant to what I'm talking about here? <laughs> and it usually is because it's not. <laughs> <laughs> you know they'll they'll give their laundry list of reasons why they think it's relevant but ultimately it's not you know but yeah no i i i think we're uh kindred spirits in that regard where we we are comment spirits trav join us in a in <laughs> in, in, in a uh circle of hands here a yes. virtual circle of hands where yours are warm that's weird because <laughs> trav gets that stuff too he's finding out he's he's in uh the, the fledgling steps of his uh, YouTube channel. I, I mean, I say that jokingly because he's been doing it for well over a year now uh, with <laughs> NES games. He's he's doing wonderful, but it's it's like he's he's learning. He's getting to the point where he's over like well over like several hundred views, and he's getting the well actually police on his yeah. ass. And it's yeah. just like enough. <laughs> like, okay, we get it. You know certain trivial facts about this stuff. It doesn't mean they need to be highlighted. You know, it's well. Uh, uh, I will say one of the 
one of the um the most important aspects of having a good YouTube video in my opinion is good writing. And if you were to mention literally everything about a game, I don't think it would be a very good script. No, <laughs> no. not at all. I that's that's I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Yeah, editing is so important when with your writing. Um now there are there are uh channels that exist that are really good at doing like video game trivia stuff like did you know gaming they made their channel all about that it is yeah did you know about this did you know about this and it works perfectly because that's what they do the guy that comes to mind is summoning salt the speedrun historian so to speak he uh does a wonderful job of telling a story of every you know he he cuts out the fat and is like here's how this guy did this he's got footage to back it up he, mm -hmm. he does a wonderful job yeah. of all his uh with all his videos i think he just did one for super mario brothers 2 and it's yep. a must watch because it's he he like somehow in in puts drama it's like a tv show that i would watch you know i expect commercial breaks when i watch that show. yeah it feels paced that way for sure yeah, <laughs> it and really does. It, his videos are super interesting because he's giving us a window into a world that honestly I don't know anything about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Same. I don't know yeah. anything about speedrunning. I don't know how it works. I don't know how people do this stuff, but he makes it uh, palatable for people like me. Um, sometimes I'll get comments that are like, um, "Oh, I think Summoning Salt is better than the Gaming Historian," and I'm not. And I say, well. I feel like we're very different shows. I don't yeah. know if you could compare Summoning Salt to The Gaming Historian. I love Summoning Salt videos, but I get that comment a lot, and I've never understood that. Um, it's not an either-or situation. Yeah, and <laughs> you don't I, I also hate the mindset of YouTube is a competition. Yeah. It is not a competition. No. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is, a rising tide floats all ships. Yes, so if, that's... If, if one person is doing well on YouTube with video game history, other people that do video game history will also do well. Everybody wins, you know, because people, it just raises interest in the subject. Mm -hmm. What people don't know, you know, I I just click on the uh, uh, in YouTube studio. I click on the other videos your audience watched in uh you know the audience tab of youtube studio yeah. the very first video listed is there was a lock for the nes by gaming historian <laughs> <laughs> ah yes my 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 greatest video of all time <laughs> and that's uh, it was a wonderful video because i remember that being a thing when i was a kid and i was like you got to be freaking kidding me like why wouldn't they just take the freaking console away and put it in a closet or something you know, that's, it's, that's what my mom did. <laughs> <laughs> that's what my that's what my childhood friend's mom did too. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I've got like Segalord X and you know uh, LGR and John Riggs and John Hancock and all these other guys. You know, but you're totally right that like it, it, it's everybody. It, we all are subject to the uh, next video thing that comes up it's 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 uh somebody else you know well it's 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 like people think that um like with the restoration videos i watch it's not mm. like i'm watching restoration channel a and then i discover restoration channel b i'm not gonna all of a sudden say i am never watching restoration channel a again <laughs> i am now only watching restoration channel b now i'm like have you seen that meme where it's a guy he's like wow two cakes 
Have you seen <laughs> yeah. that? that no, before? I haven't. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a guy, um, it's about artists and it says, you know, how fans perceive two different pieces of art and how like an artist perceives two, two pieces of art. Uh, basically the fan says, Oh wow, there's two cakes here, even though one cake doesn't look as good as the other cake. And so that's kind of, that's kind of how YouTube works. It's like, people are just happy to get more content. It's not like they're going to shun the other channel now. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So I want to take a step back and ask you probably a question you get asked uh, all the time. And so we're going to ask it here, of course. Uh, what is the process for selecting the topics that you cover on the channel? Is it things that you, you're personally curious about, so you gravitate toward that? Are you trying to make the algorithm happy? What's the mindset? <laughs> Sometimes I try to appease the algorithm. Um, so How for ex- dare you? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's weird when you, when you run your own business, you... I know right? you want to see it succeed. <laughs> Imagine um, that. Yeah. Uh, so for example, um, before the 30th anniversary of super Mario brothers three, I put out of the North American release. Anyway, I put out the story of super Mario brothers three. Mm. Um, but you know, so sometimes, yeah, I go for the algorithm, but mm-hmm. most, I'd say 90% of the time, I just stumble across something that I think is super interesting and that I want to dive into. And that's how I choose the topic. So with the, with the homework first lock, I was on the video game history hour podcast with Frank Cifaldi and uh, Kelsey Lewin. Yeah. 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 And, and Kelsey mentioned this lock and I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, yeah, there was a lock called Homework First. And I Googled it, and yeah, there was, I saw the images. There are a few articles about it. And I was just like, I've got to know more about this thing. And that's how <laughs> I chose that topic, because I just thought nice. it was weird, you know? Yeah, that's I awesome. Love it. That's great. <laughs> and then to discover the guy that invented the lock, his dad invented kitty litter, which like revolutionized <laughs> having a cat as a pet. I'm like, it's a small world. Everything's connected. It's it's just crazy. <laughs> this is the stuff I love discovering. That was a fun fact in that video for sure. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Do, are there any of your old older videos that you wish you could I mean you mentioned earlier that you know your quality's gotten better over time and that that's true for everyone but is there any topic that you want to revisit because you're like well that was I had less resources back then I knew a little bit less about what I was doing maybe maybe you got a few things wrong history evolved and you figured or you learned some new things is there anything you'd go back to and redo if you haven't already yeah there so there's two videos um that I really want to redo. The first one is the Universal versus Nintendo court case about Donkey Kong. Um, that one, I actually, I went to the National Archives and I scanned f- five or six boxes worth of documents in regards to that court case. So I've just got a ton of new information that's never been seen before. Oh, wow. Um, that I think like significantly changes the history of of Donkey Kong and how that game was developed. Um so I'd love to redo that video. Yes, uh, please do. I I I, that I think it, awesome. I, I think the original was like 12 minutes long. I I don't even want to know how long the new one would be. I I'm still <laughs> going through all the documents cuz it's just a ton of of paperwork. Uh so I'd like to redo that. The other one I'd love to redo is 
which actually this video doesn't exist on the internet right now. I did a video about when Nintendo bought the Seattle Mariners. Oh yeah. Back in oh, I would love that. That'd be awesome. I made that back in 2016 and it was a fascinating story and I it was I was just amazed at how xenophobic everybody was about that. They were like, there's no way we're going to let a Japanese company own an American baseball team. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, there was a lot of drama and controversy around that. Uh, I uploaded that video in, I think, June of 2016. Major League Baseball sent me a cease and desist in the what? mail. Wow. In the mail. Hard copy. <laughs> Classic baseball. <laughs> and they said, delete the video, delete oh all mentions God. of the video, delete all social media posts yes. about the video, or yep. we're going to court. So yep. I did. Uh, so I have to remake that video without <laughs> Major League Baseball footage because I did use I used some like Seattle Mariners games from the eighties uh, in that video, and of course Major League Baseball is super protective of yeah. their stuff. Got to so. get that express written consent, man. Yeah, and I tried to work <laughs> with them afterward. I said, "Look, let's work out a deal." I really want to make this. I think it's super interesting. And then I figured out how much it would cost. And I said, well, that's not happening. <laughs> so, Yikes. Oh my God. I got to okay. figure out a way to remake that. Well, when I'm curious now, when did, when was that scheduled to happen? That took place in 1992. 92? Early nineties. Okay. That mm-hmm. would have been at, uh, yeah, the height of the hysteria regarding, yeah, Japanese companies like oh yeah. they're taking they're taking over they're we can't let them surpass us blah 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 yeah yep so I you, you learn about um, Japanese automakers yeah. were like yes oh my exactly. god they're they're taking over the auto industry and they were they were giving bids for like public transportation systems in California and yep. like the government was pressured to like drop the bid because it was from a Japanese company there was a lot of anti-Japanese hysteria going on. But there was also a Japanese politician said American workers are lazy or something like that. And people were flipping out about that too. So Hmm. a different time. Yeah. (laughs) Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. And and speaking a little more to your process, I imagine you have a lot of ideas for videos and you chip away at them based on what you're able to access for research. I mean, is it like that? Or are you very one at a time? Are you very focused on this is what I'm doing now? This is... I'll put that on the back burner. Yeah, I you know, most of the time I can I can I can do one video at a time, but actually sometimes you run into a roadblock and I say, "Okay, I have to put this on hold and I have to do something else." Uh so like actually right now I'm going through it right now. I'm making a video about the U-Force that NES controller that, you know, you yeah. used your hands to control everything. It was very <laughs> cool and futuristic and it was going to be the future of video games. Um I'm I'm at a roadblock because I'm trying to talk to the engineers that made this thing and I I want to talk to them but I'm running into some some issues with that so Gotcha. I I really try with my videos I try to say if if I can't bring anything new to the conversation I don't want to put it out there. And yeah. so with the U-Force, I'm like, I really want to talk to these guys. I still think it would be a good video even if I didn't talk to them, but I'm hoping I can talk to them. So I'm putting it on hold for now, and I got to find something else to work on. So That's kind of how I feel, where even if I'm talking about 
Uh, let's let's give an example here. What what's some crap ass <laughs> Super Nintendo game? I've I don't know. You've done lately. what six hundred videos on? Uh, <laughs> well, like brutal pause of fury. <laughs> like when I go oh, to God, YouTube. <laughs> when I talk, when I go to YouTube, listen. When I go to YouTube and I I look up Brutal Pause of Fury, I don't see a whole lot of information about it. I see like, you know, twenty minute videos with blurry footage mm-hmm. of it with like some guy talking through a webcam microphone. Yeah, ab- about it or like some like twenty twelve video with like some guy like. I got this cartridge, and you know, at a yard sale, blah blah blah, or something like that. But you know, I just want this to be like uh, the stuff I make. I just want it to be like, here's what this game is, here's what me, some guy, thinks of it, and you know, I, I keep the editorial stuff to a minimum if I, if I can. I throw in some snark if I can, uh, if the opportunity presents itself. In that case, it it usually does because it's brutal pause of fury. But <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, I, I I try and just present the game as like here's what this is, and I feel like that's useful. So I really yeah. appreciate your channel because you approach it like is this useful? Is it not useful? And I feel like you're always looking for is this useful? So thank you for that. Well, thank you. I I I agree with your with your method as well like you you do a search on youtube for that topic like uh i i'd search for the u-force i think there's like one there's one video about the u-force that's pretty good and it's it's kind of an unscripted video he just shows it and how it works and like all the different modes so it's kind of an informational video Mm. but as far as like deep dive information on the u-force there's nothing out there even the wikipedia entry is like the most bare bones thing I've ever seen, but the history behind this thing is super interesting. So that's like a motivating factor for making the video. You want people to know more about this. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. The only reason I know you force is fr- through two ways. It's through the, uh, magazine ads in like game pro and you know, all the magazines from back then EGM and through angry video game nerd. I think he, did it you know he demonstrated it one he time he uh and... he used it in his um nes accessory video <laughs> yeah. and he was shocked that it worked <laughs> <laughs> and i think that's that's part of the theme of of my video is that this thing worked and it worked pretty well oh, it just wow. wasn't a very good video game controller but like mm. it wasn't like the power glove the power glove didn't work <laughs> like the technology you're scaling down a piece of equipment that costs tens of thousands of dollars and you're you're scaling it down to a $70 piece of equipment and so the technology just isn't there yet but the U-Force used like infrared signals that like remote TV remotes use mm. and so the technology was there and it worked but it was expensive, and it's not a great way to play platformers, which was like a majority of the games on the NES. So, yeah. But like, I was I was streaming on Twitch last night with the U Force, and I was playing Punch Out, and I was like, I thought I was doing pretty good. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. it worked. That's cool. <laughs> that is bold. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was fun. So you you mentioned uh, grad school earlier, and you said you had a history degree already, I believe. Is that yes. what grad school, is that what you're doing with grad school is getting, getting, um, doing more history stuff or are you branching out? Yep. I am, uh, I'm going for my master's in public history. 
So that is um, public history is sort of a newish field. It is uh, presenting history to the general public. Um, and I feel like that kind of tied in very well with my YouTube channel. So for I sure. Think, yeah, that sounds like the route I want to go. Uh, the other way is just, you know, a general master's in history. That's more of an academic history, um, which I'm not super into academic history, but uh, to each their own, you know. <laughs> so when it comes to other parts of history outside of video games, mm -hmm. uh, do you have any interest in that? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I grew up, how I got into history was... Um, I, I watched World War II movies. I loved World War II. So I kind of became obsessed with with studying World War II. Um, and then I got into the Civil War. Uh, a lot of American history, basically. I live in Kansas City. It's it's where Lewis and Clark, you there know, you kind of started their, ex, you know, expedition. Uh, it's where the Oregon and Santa Fe and California trails started right here. Uh, so there's a lot of history in Kansas City that's super interesting. So yeah, I'm I'm really into all of it. Um, there's, there's a lot of history in Oregon Trail. There is, and uh, I was fortunate to interview the creators of Oregon Trail back in 2019 from the I, MECC or whatever it's called, the Minnesota Educational something Computing something? Consortium or Nice. Yeah, I love it. Uh, yeah. I, so yeah, I I interviewed. Bill Heineman, Paul Dillenberger, and Philip Bouchard, who... So Bill Heineman and Paul Dillenberger, they made the original Oregon Trail, which was back in, I think, 71, 1971. It was a text-based adventure game. Yeah. Um, and then I interviewed Philip Bouchard, who worked for MECC, and he was the one that made the Apple II version that most of us remember. Yeah. Um, and no one, no one has really talked to Philip Bouchard, which shocks me. Because he's the guy that made the version everyone remembers. Yeah. Uh, so I was I was super fortunate to interview those three guys. Um, I have the footage. I I mentioned earlier I was trying to go to the Strong Museum and do research. That's why I wanted to go to the Strong Museum because they have MECC papers. Uh, so I wanted do to they? go there and you know look at the documents and learn more about MECC. So, because I was going to make a video about that, but I might hold it because I think it might turn into my master's thesis. So, oh, awesome! We'll oh, see. dang! Wow, I, I I might kill two birds with one stone here. I might <laughs> it might become a gaming historian video and my my master's thesis. So, I love, I love that. that. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's that's efficiency right there. Um, I thought so. <laughs> did I now? I have to ask. Did did uh, Philip give any hints as to like? Okay, you should definitely get wagon tongues and wagon wheels. You should definitely <laughs> load up on food. I need Oregon Trail's tips and hints because I don't. I'm not that good at that game. <laughs> I mean, if it's all it's all you know formula based. I mean the the best if you. If you want to be good at the game, just start the game as a banker because you have so much money. You can just buy everything like, in so, excess huh? and then you'll beat the game pretty easily. Mm -hmm, like at yeah. every river crossing, you can just pay to cross um, <laughs> and you can just restock at every four. It's super easy when you play as the banker. I'm if a you, sucker. I play as a farmer. I'm that's like, the hardest. Uh, if you play yeah. as a farmer, it's pretty hard. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I'm like earnest, you know, like, oh, I want to be a farmer. You know, the game kind of goads you into that. 
where I'm like just like, oh, I want to be a rough and tumble farmer. I'm going to cock the boat every time. I'm going to, or cock the cart right. every time yeah. and float there's it some, across. There, there's something endearing about being the farmer. Yeah, um, I guess there is. Yeah, and um, I mean, the majority of people that went on the Oregon Trail, a lot of a lot of them were poor farmers that just wanted, you know, better opportunities. So better I can see why you'd land. want to be a farmer. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. The the source of my childhood anxiety was that gamble <laughs> of whether or not the caulking it was going to work, and you just watch it sink, and you're like, oh god, not now. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think my I think about caulking back then was probably just like stuffing mud in between <laughs> the floorboards of the wagon or something. Yeah, you're not going to Lowe's and buying yeah. a, you know, caulk. To, yeah. yeah, you're not buying the the DAP 230 extra sealant or something like that. But um the 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 one thing I found funny when talking to Philip Bouchard was uh you know you can the Oregon Trail merchandise one of the big selling t-shirts is it says you have died of dysentery. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can't actually die of dysentery in that game. Really? Yeah. You can't. Oh, huh. Uh, what that's, can you... So Philip Bouchard told me, he said, you, that doesn't actually happen in the game. That just, that might be like a Mandela effect thing. Weird. I think so, yeah, because you definitely, I, I mean. <laughs> I mean you, you get cholera you, you all the time. You can yeah, you get, get dysentery. <laughs> you can di- dysentery. You can get cholera. You can get the hell out of cholera, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you can definitely die of a broken leg or a broken arm because it gets yeah. infected yeah. And, and all that sort of stuff. Especially if a bone is exposed. You know, I I want them to go into detail here <laughs> with these you know ailments. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, but the, the actual phrase "you have died of dysentery" is not in the game. Interesting. So, that is that's like a Mandela effect thing. I was going to sure. say that's definitely a Mandela effect thing. Yeah. Fascinating. That's a, there's another gaming myth. You just busted it for us. There we go. Nice. I love it. We can source the podcast on Wikipedia. Yes. <laughs> we did it, Alex. <laughs> High five, man. <laughs> well, uh, Norm, I don't know that we have any other questions, but we do have some listener. We have one listener question. And it comes from the guy who reached out for us on our behalf, uh, reached out to you on our behalf to be on the podcast. So we want to thank Seth, a.k.a. Oh, yeah. Seth. Captain Drachma in small circles. Yep. He asks, uh, this is for all three of us, what do you think of the mini consoles and which one do you like the most? Or is there one that hasn't come out yet that you'd like to see? Oh, gosh. Um, I, I am a sucker for the mini consoles. I think they're very cute, and I think they have a good selection of games on them. I, I've I've played, I haven't played the Turbo Graphics one yet. I'd like to. Me neither. Uh, I think I think the the NES one was good. I thought the Super Nintendo one was fantastic. Um, I thought the Sega Genesis one was very good. I I personally would love a Game Boy Mini, just like. Uh, and just make it like another Game Boy, but just have a bunch of games built into it. Uh, I don't know. I think that would be fun. For you sure. stole my answer. I was gonna <laughs> go with that. That's that was my answer. But yeah, that would be so freaking cool to have those games rebooted, and you could really cram a ton of games onto there. You could do like you could, and you could have a really nice LCD screen, and you could even have yeah. the option of like play it in Game Boy Color mode or play it in like old school green and black mode give it a backlight 
give it a backlight so I don't have to, <laughs> you know, sit under a lamp and play. Yeah. <laughs> I knew that was your one of your favorite consoles just based on your your video, so I'm not surprised you said Game Boy and I have to I have to fall in line here. I think the Game Boy would be a great one to see. So we might be we might have a unanimous answer here for you, Seth. I think Game Boy for me, yeah. I I have uh, not so fond, but yet somehow fond memories of uh, waiting for uh, highway lights to <laughs> yep. shine over my dad's <laughs> Ford F one fifty as I Same as I here. lay in the back seat from uh, my dad's trips to Iowa, dropping my brother off on. Uh, to college but yeah <laughs> uh yeah it's got to be the game boy like i i'm just kind of sitting back and waiting like i think sega is putting out like a mini game gear it's like the tiniest thing i've ever seen oh yeah i think but they I, already did yeah i think i saw i saw some news about that and they have like but i don't think it has a ton of games on it. i think it just has like one game on each but it's like super tiny yeah it, it doesn't seem like it's playable <laughs> seems like yes, a keychain kind of a thing exactly right. um and I, you know we had a game gear growing up but i didn't really like it i i always preferred the game boy i just thought the games weren't very good on it yeah and it you know you're it was like holding a hot cinder block after a while and you got carpal tunnel <laughs> and, and the batteries lasted about eight minutes so you'd get suckered into having fun and then you're then it would die and you'd lose everything yeah the battery life really sucked on it. the best thing about the game gear was you could play it in those road trips and at night and you mm-hmm. could still play yeah um, and i i thought the sonic games were pretty good on the game gear but the as far as like game selection i think the game boy like beats oh yeah it, absolutely down. And the Game Boy had a lot more games that I like. I wanted as a kid, it did. Yeah. Um, for sure. But I remember my childhood friend Dan down the road from me had a Game Gear, and he had Mortal Kombat, the first Mortal Kombat on it. And holy crap, it was Mortal Kombat with blood, with finishers, on a portable device, on a color portable device. Holy <laughs> crap, that blew my mind. I wanted it so bad. I was so jealous. It was amazing. Yeah, we had had that game too and uh you know playing it today you're like oh this is rough it's kind of sluggish but yeah and i i played the heck out of that the original mortal Kombat, and i think it it was missing some characters too i think it only had like six six fighters i don't think kano was in that game no you're right i kano and sonya blade i don't think were in that one um i think it was just sub-zero scorpion uh raiden and the usual suspects and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but Oh, I remember my friend had that. And I was just like, "Oh my god, this is the next level of gaming right here." It's <laughs> this is portable it. stuff. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I I have a soft spot for the Game Gear. I have to admit. Yeah, I uh, I guess I do too, just because we grew up with it. I mean, yeah, but that that's how it goes with a lot of consoles, you know. For if sure. You, if you grew up with it, you kind of look at it a little differently. For sure. It's hard to disassociate and look at it objectively. <laughs> yeah, like I, I love um, hard driving on the Sega Genesis. Oh, by no. Tengen. I Not... love that game. It is a objectively bad game. Oh, God. <laughs> I love terrible. it because I grew up with it and I was like, oh, my God, I'm driving in first person. This is incredible. <laughs> One frame per second. Well, yeah, two frames a second. But And you do the loop-de-loop and you can't really tell if you're going to oh, make God. it or not. And, it was great. You definitely have to see SNES oh Drunk's God. hard drive and review. So no, yeah, don't look that up because it's it has nothing to do with the game at all. It has everything to do with uh, very nice and friendly commenters that I get all the time. Uh, <laughs> it's a good yeah. watch. 
It's a good watch. Yeah. It's it's a fun watch, but yeah, <laughs> don't go out of your way to watch that one. But I, I do want to mention I I discovered uh your show, Alex, when I was researching Crusader of Senti. Oh. Um, yeah. I love that game. Yeah. Uh so I did a video on it uh earlier last year, and so I was looking at YouTube videos about it and your review of it was fantastic. Um, and I said, Thanks. wow, I really like that review. So then I watched more reviews and I said, oh, this is like the style of review that I like. So I am, uh, I'm a big fan of Snest Drunk. And that's right why. on. That's so cool. I, I love hearing that. And now I have to check out Trav's channel because it's about Nintendo games, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a rip off of Alex. I just, uh, just do NES stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Not afraid to admit Well, it. the thing is, is that Trav does stuff on... You know, I, I really liked his review on uh, uh, Roger Rabbit for NES, for instance. When you talk about Roger Rabbit on <laughs> NES, uh, you're always going to be like, oh, that game is horrible and blah, blah, blah. LJN. LJN. Blah, blah, yep. Exactly. But Trav really gives it a fair shake. And I that Roger Rabbit was one of those games that I ended up renting. Or I didn't end up renting myself. I didn't have an NES, but... I convinced my childhood friend to rent it, and he did, and we both had immediate regret because we didn't. We thought we were just getting like a hop and bop platformer, you know, that kind of thing. And but Trav does a great job of like deconstructing what that game is, what it does well, what it what it sucks at. Here's what you do. Here's what it's bad at. That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's a wonderful job at the, at that, and I think it's extremely useful. But thanks for saying that nice stuff about my channel. I really appreciate it. Of course. And uh, yeah, here we are freaking seven years later, eight years later. And it's like, what the hell happened? (laughs) I know. It's like, I didn't sign up for all this. I just wanted to like expand my hobby slightly, but holy cow. Wow. But here we are talking to you, Mr. Gaming Historian. It's wonderful. Yeah. And I've been doing it. I've been doing it for... 13 years now. Jeez. Yeah. So. We're so lucky to have you because you're such a well-informed and uh, you're, you're a great guy. So we appreciate your, your coming on to this uh, podcast. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone. That's been another Drunk Friend Podcast. As always, you can reach out to us with questions or comments at drunkfriendpodcast at gmail.com. We'll respond or read it here eventually. Please head on over to polykill.com if you want to hear more podcasts like this one. There's Petey's Power Hour, Tales of the Lesser Medium, Polykill, and more. If you're not interested in sending an email, no big deal. Just give us a rating and review on a podcast app of your choice, and that'll help us out big time. Big time. All right. You can find us all on social media. On Twitter, I'm at TravPlaysGames. Alex is, of course, at SNESDrunk. And you can find Norm at GamingHistorian. As always, the music you heard in the beginning and can hear right now was composed by our friend Kular. The track you hear is called Electric Starbounce. And you can find a link to more of his music on the Buzzsprout podcast page. Shout out to Josh Leslie for our thirst quenching logo. Be sure to catch us all on YouTube, and thanks for listening. And we hope you have a great rest of your day. Cheers! Cheers!